The Lord has blessed us all today. It's just been that He's been exceptionally good to us. It's going to hit, what, 64 degrees outside? Amen. It's been a long time since I heard that. Sweet. Tomorrow's going to be 75. Come on. Here we go. Welcome to Connection. My name is Matt Griswold. I'm the lead pastor here. And I just want to tell you thank you. Again, if we, could, if we could get this recording done, I would be all for it. It would be unbelievable. If we could mount microphones somewhere right here to grab the sound that comes up from here, it makes it a joy to even be up here whenever you sing, whenever Jack leads us in worship. It's fun. It's great. But I want to ask you a question. Were, were you serious? Say, God, come away with me. God's asking, he's inviting, he's inviting us. Matt, he's calling you by name. He says, will you come away with me? Will you go away with me? We're talking about fishing again. If you're coming to Connection for the first time, you are not a guest. You are family with us. We want you to hang out with us, sit beside us. We want you to go grab some popcorn, get some coffee, be comfortable, be relaxed. Because in a very relevant and applicable way, I'm going to show you a story in Luke today that we're going to be able to walk out of these doors and put into practice completely on purpose. The number one goal of connection is to reach the unchurched people in this community and the surrounding communities that, that are kind of our boundaries, okay? We don't have boundaries, but there are certain distances that people probably won't travel. But we seek to reach those people. Last week we talked about gone fishing. We're in our, we're in our, we're in our series called Gone Fishing, and I was talking to a guy yesterday, and he was at Le Pyramid Lake, and then he was at Lake Egypt, and then he was at, uh, he was at Rin Lake, and he said the crappie fishing was okay, but the water's too muddy. Now listen. In a couple more days of sunshine like this, the water's not going to be all muddy and everything, and the crappie are going to be biting. And again, your favorite, my, my second favorite baptism is, you know, crappie and grease. And baptized, okay? If you have any extra, I can tell you where I live. But I want to ask you a question. How are you doing today? How are you, how are you doing? Not how you say you're doing. How are you doing? It's a little bit deeper question. Because too often we say, hey, man, you know, somebody comes to me, hey, man, how you doing? I'm good. No, I'm not. I turn around, no, I'm not. Last week we looked in, in Mark chapter 1, and Jesus calls the first, first disciples. And we looked at Mark because Mark was the first gospel that was written. And we looked at that to see the very first look at what it looked like when Jesus called his disciples. And he, and he calls them to go fishing. I mean, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Anybody like to fish in here? would be like, oh, hey. Uh, you're going to just fish. Jesus walks up to you, hey, you're going to fish, and then, then he throws them for a curveball, and he says, you're going to fish for people. How, Jesus, how do we do that? We don't understand that. They couldn't have comprehended that. This morning, we remember that in Mark chapter 1, and I told you, you had a, in, your, in your worship handout last week, it had a little reminder, and it says that when Jesus called his disciples, he had an agenda for them. Meaning this, when Jesus comes into our life and he calls us and we choose to follow, when we say, God, I'll come away with you, I'll give you everything I have, I'll give you, I'll give you my job, I'll give you my house, I'll let people come over to my house, I'll, I'll let people use my vehicles, I'll give my money, whatever we decide we want to step on, whichever plateau we want to give everything to God. And he says this, I'm going to change you because until you look like my son, I still have to change you. And it's difficult for us because we get comfortable. We talked about comfort last week. Oh, it's easy to be comfortable. I don't want to get out of this comfort zone because uh, people, you know, Matt, when I start talking about God, people just, they just go away from me. They call me weird. It's like high school all over again. 
It's like junior high all over again. They, uh, they, they labeled me some kind of Jesus freak. Well, lucky for you, I was raised in the 90s. DC Talks Jesus Freak is the song. Okay, it was a cool thing. Okay? If you've never heard Jesus Freak by, by DC Talk, please go home, YouTube it. Not right now, I'm preaching. Okay? But Jesus had a purpose for these disciples' life. We looked deeper into this truth and found that some of us were here. Remember this story that I talked about last week? Some of you were here because someone decided to do what Paul did, and they fished for you. Now, Paul's the brother, and, and the river runs through it. He goes out to the middle of the river and catches the fish. And I said, this is what I want you to do. Last week I gave you homework. Some of you completely forgot that we had homework. It's okay. Some of you, by 2 o'clock, I had four emails on my computer. Some of you took it very much to heart. I'm not sure that you weren't talking to that person during church, but regardless... By 2 o'clock, I had four emails. Now, here's the deal. I ask, you to, I ask you to look, remember back the people that fished in your life. Fished, invested. See, that's, that's a word we're going to talk about today, is invested and inviting. We invest in people. Connection does not exist to take any church members from any other church. No, we're not existing to do that. We are existing to bring unchurched people or people that aren't in church in, and we're going to invest our life into them and, raise, and let God raise them up to become leaders to become new church planners, to be part of a new church plant that was going to happen very soon. And, it's, and it's, it's easy to get caught up in that, but we have to step back and say, listen, you remember the person that put into my life, and I told you about a guy named Mike Copen, and I told you about a guy named Mike Davis, and a, and a lady named Laura Davis, and the people that fished in my life, and my parents, they fished in my life, they invested. They knew exactly, exactly how to put into my life. They invested their lives in me to show me what? To show me the love of Christ. To, to, they showed me how to love people. As, as, as connection, as our, as our people gather together and we go out, our desire is that we come in, remember our sponge? We come in, we soak up, we go out and we squeeze. We squeeze everywhere. We, we affect, we, we, we not infect, we affect okay, people. We, we show them how... Yeah, life doesn't always go well, but I know that I can have a firm foundation to stand on because of my relationship with Christ. And so far, so many times, we just go out and go, I'm just defeated. You ever done that? I'll never forget when I was, I was a little, I was a little guy, we were in junior high baseball, and I struck out to end the regional tournament, by the way. We had a runner on third base, score was three to two. I set up this scenario many times in my backyard. And we played Mount Vernon. No, we played South Central. So little bitty Albion comes over and plays South Central. Regional Championship, 1994. I get up. I had gone two, I got a couple hits that day. I scored a couple runs. So they wanted to stop me, what I was doing. And all of a sudden I look over and this behemoth, he might, as, he might as well have been Goliath himself. Nine, he, might have, he might have been nine foot six, I'm not sure. But he walks out of their dugout. And the, I'll never forget that. The, the coach walks to the middle and he looks over the dugout and does this. And like this kid gets up and I'm like, whoa. There's no way he's an eighth grader. And he walks out, and, I, and I'm thinking, I'm going, maybe he doesn't throw very hard. Yeah, that's a, yeah that was dumb. He rears back and, <laughs> oh. Later I would find out the kid in eighth grade was throwing over 80 miles an hour. And I struck out. And I had a really hard time with that. And I felt like a failure. You ever been there? I felt like anything that I tried to do, God, I can't accomplish it. And, and, and this is not a spiritual thing. This was something that I just wanted to do. And God, I can't, I can't do it. And then I get to look in this wonderful, amazing, perfect book called God's Word. And it looks, it looks like this. And then later on in the New Testament, we can look at these people that Jesus called to be fish, the fishermen to call to be disciples. And we can see that they're fishing. 
But look who else fishes. Watch this. If you think you're a failure, listen to this. There's a, a tax collector, a dishonest person named Levi who gets transformed, asked to follow Jesus, that becomes a fisherman of a person that is literally hated. If you, he lived in your neighborhood and you were a Jew, you did not send him a Christmas card. Okay, that's it. You didn't talk to him. You didn't shovel his driveway. If it was snowing, nothing. You didn't talk to him. We see a task, we see a prostitute, an immoral person that Jesus encounters, and all of a sudden, she becomes a follower. Jesus changes her from here to here. A woman who had been married five times. She messed up, messed up, messed up, messed up, messed up. And God says, oh no, you're not messed up. You just messed up. Come follow me and let me change your whole life. And she does. And we read later in the New Testament that she's speaking, she's teaching, she's reaching out to these people. She's becoming invested because someone invested in her. We see a man full of demons that Jesus encounters. We see a man full of demons. He's uncontrollable. You ever felt like life is uncontrollable? You lost the remote? Okay, there is no pause. Everything's like in fast forward and you can't slow it down. It's uncontrollable. You have no idea where it's going. And this man was the same way. Jesus encounters him. What does he do? He sends the demons into the pigs, runs the pigs off the cliff. And the man, watch this, becomes a follower of Christ. Starts following Jesus. Starts having his life changed. We see a direct correlation. I know that's a big word. I teach PE, but correlation is a nice big word. There's a direct correlation between Jesus and fishing for people. You know why? Because he did it every day. Every time we look in Scripture, Jesus is seeking to invest. He's seeking to invest in, watch this, not only outside his body people, but he's seeking to invest in himself. There are many times we can check out the New Testament, the Garden of Gethsemane before he's, before he's crucified, and he's investing in his relationship with his dad. On the brink of death, he is investing on that. He invests into the disciples. He invests into families that have sick people that he heals. He invests into a a friend that dies named Lazarus. And after four days, he brings him back to life. He invests. He invests in these people. Jesus was the most successful fisherman known to man. Not in any account does Jesus even touch a fishing pole And he's responsible for more fish being caught than some of these guys have ever caught in their life. How about that? No bait costs, no hook costs, no equipment costs. You just catch fish. We're going to look today in a little bit. We're going to look. We're going to look in the book of Luke. But if you have your your green worship handout, that's what we call them here, Connection. It just gives you a little bit of of notes here so we we can look through it. But Jesus was a successful fisherman. Jesus was a successful fisherman. He was like Paul, and the river runs through it. Paul is the younger brother that goes out into the middle of the river. And, and please, if you haven't seen the river runs through it, um, there, there's a couple parts in it that I wouldn't recommend for younger kids, but, but really, the, their dad's a Presbyterian minister, and he talks about, talks about simple life, t- simple truth, and, and, and he talks about the words of God being in the rocks and, and relating with nature. It's beautiful. It's, it's in Missoula, Montana. Absolutely beautiful. But Paul, the brother is an excellent fisherman. And he catches that bigger fish than his brother because his brother would only stay on the bank and Paul got in the middle of the river. Now his dad caught the biggest fish, but his dad, if you watch the movie, knew all where, where all the secret spots were. Okay? Now if we can look at the first blank on our worship handout, it says this. To be successful fishermen, we must fish where the fish are. True? True? 
Anybody, has anybody ever been, has anybody ever been to a brand new pond that just filled up with water and there's no fish in it yet? Have you, has anybody ever seen that? I will guarantee you, you can throw whatever you have in your tackle box. If there are no fish in that pond, you're going to catch zero. I promise. I promise. But to be a successful fisherman like Jesus was, we are to fish where the, or we are to fish where the fish are. If you go out in the middle of the day, you're not going to run a buzz bait. And some of you fishermen are going to understand what I'm saying. You're not going to throw a topwater bait when it's 95 degrees in the middle of Wren Lake, unless there's structure underneath it. But over open water and it's deep, the fish are going to be deep or they're going to be in the shade or they're going to be in the shallows, most of all. You're going to have a hard time. So you need to know where to cast, right? You need to know where to, what to do. I came across this line in, this week, and, and I want to I share it with you. And it was, it was so very, very true. And I had to think about it a couple times, so I'm going to tell it to you a couple times. Listen, when most of us became a Christian, I doubt that we signed up to be fishers of people. Now think about that. Let it sink in. And I'll tell you why most of us did in a second. When most of us became a Christian, I doubt that we signed up to be fishers of people. Some of us seven, eight years old run around, God, I'm going to be a missionary for the rest of my life. I'm going to fish for people. I doubt very many of us said that. I'm not doubting God. I'm putting no question marks there. But I'm saying this is probably the reason. Many of us became a Christian, a follower of Jesus, like we say at Connection, because we didn't want to go to hell. We were scared. We understood that there was a sin. There was a sin between us and God. That relationship was broken. We had that sin in our life, and we said, no, no, I don't want the eternal consequences. So that was the motivation. For some of us, we had a problem, a situation you needed help with. Maybe you came to Christ because you needed God to fix something. Maybe you were at that pit in your life and you said, God, I need help. Get me out of this. Get me out of this. Those are selfish reasons. They seek to give us gain. You hear me? Hear me. Are they required? Yes, the Bible says so. We have to have a relationship with Christ to have an eternal life with Him in heaven. Yes, it's required. But it's selfish. Because we say, we want, we want, we want, we want. I talked to you a couple months ago that God is not a genie in a bottle. He does not, he does not exist to grant us our wants. Okay? It's not that you need a new, jacked up 2015 truck with huge tires. It's not that you need this. It's, it's, it's that you want that and you think, God, I just, I just want it. And it's selfish motives. We tend to ask God this, give me help, help me, bless me, don't we? Think of, now listen, some of, us, some of us are thinking, no, I never, I, I never talk like that. Well, maybe God will talk to you. We tend to think like this, I'd like to have a better job. I want a better job. I want a better marriage. I want another marriage. I want a boyfriend. I want to get rid of my boyfriend. Remember, I teach junior high, this happens. Please help me, God. This is what we do. Too often, too often times in this, man, it's 65 degrees and sunny outside. There's not a care that you have in the world, right? You're driving down the interstate, man, God, you know what? I don't need anything today. I just want to tell you, thanks for letting me wake up. And we drive. There's not a care in the world. Until you enjoy that cruise a little bit too much, about five mile an hour over, you get pulled over by the cop, and you say, God, I don't need a ticket. Don't let me get a ticket. Listen, God says there's consequences for sin. But to be successful fishermen, we must fish where we, 
where the fish are, we must understand how to go about it, where to go about it. Now, here's the good thing. Here's the good thing about all that stuff. That, man, Matt's already shot me down about being a selfish person. Now listen, here's the deal. This, I, I need to get up in the morning and I need to shout this as loud as I can the very first thing I wake up. Ready? God is patient with me. Amen? Aren't you glad? You glad that God is patient with you? Listen, how many times did it take you to learn Something in your life. Sometimes it takes one time. If if the severity is enough, it takes one time. I want to be real with you because we're a real church. We don't exist to be perfect. We're not perfect. Okay? But the real Matt, listen, the real Matt messes up and he 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 messes up and I've been messing up for my whole life. And until I die, I'm going to mess up. But here's the thing. I know where I need to go back to. God help me. Oh man, I'm trying so hard. It was two weeks since I got angry about this. And I said, I'm so disappointed in myself that it was two weeks and I, and, I, and I let it go. And God says, when's the last time you went two weeks without getting upset about this? Oh man, it's been a while. You're growing, keep going. You're growing, keep going. See, God is patient with us. He gives us peace and he helps us. Following Jesus as the leader of our life has all kinds of advantages, right? It does. We have hope. We have peace. If we die, we win. That's what Paul says. We inherit the kingdom of heaven. So being a follower of Christ has all kinds of advantages, but, and this is what we don't want to hear, God has a purpose for you until you quit breathing on this planet. Until you quit breathing. Until you stop. Until it's over. Until he calls you home. Until you die. Until that happens, you have a purpose. And here's the deal. He wants you to become a fisherman of people. Listen, we're revisiting, revisiting our vision from 2007 when we, were, when we were just beginning. We're revisiting that on purpose. Okay, last week, God has an agenda. He wants to change our life. I told you, in, in, the, in the near future, we're going to have something very, very cool to go along with this, and I'm not going to share it right now. I'm just going to make sure you keep coming back, then I'll let you know when it is, okay? We are going to have the effect. We're going to see. We're going to see. We're going to hear from people. They say, my life was this way. I encountered God. I encountered this church at Connection. It met my needs. It fished where I was. And now my life. Listen, we don't have enough time in a month of services for you to hear all of them. We don't have time in a month of services for you to hear all of them. I was this way. Connection came into my life. They fished where I was. Somebody from Connection impacted my life. They invested it. For one time in my life, I felt important. I've heard that come out of people in Connection's mouth. For once in my life, I felt important and like I had a home. Because we fish where the fish are. God has a purpose. If you have your Bibles, it's been a long time if you're, if you're a connectionite. I'm not sure that's what we're called, but if you have your Bible, it's been a long time since I said this. Since anybody said this, go to the book of Luke, chapter 5. If, if, you're, if, if you're sitting beside somebody, they're laughing, you have no idea what they're laughing about. Mike Davis was our pastor. He, he passed away in September, but for two years... He expositorily preached through the entire 24th chapter book of Luke. If you came up and looked at, my, looked at my Bible, it is absolutely just noted up. Noted up. Because I learned so much. And you know what Mike taught us through that, through that study? 
You know what the people that keep putting into us in our connect groups keep showing us on a weekly basis if you're there? you got to invest in people. That's the key. That's the key. You know what the secret to life is? To keep the main thing the main thing. That's it. Wow. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to talk to a guy in a monk suit. The secret to life is to keep the main thing the main thing. If at any point the main thing isn't the main thing, then you can't have the main thing be the main thing anymore. You have to keep the main thing the main thing. Some of you are going to get that about 2 o'clock. Just come back to the 4.30 server and say, I got it. Look at Luke, chapter 5, verse 1. And we see, oh, I love this. We're going fishing again. <laughs> All right. Some of us are going to go this afternoon, not me. I may be quick. I got to maybe wash my truck today. I don't know. Sunny. Luke 5, 1. On one day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. Now, time out. It says the word crowds. We're, we're reading now the New Living Translation. is talking about crowds, and he's on the seashore. He's on the Sea of Galilee's shore. He's walking along the rocks. If you've ever been to Ren Lake, Kentucky Lake, Cumberland River, Little Wabash River, Big Wabash River, uh, Lake of Egypt, uh, Ohio River, wherever. He's, on, he's walking on the side. Walking along the water. And it says the crowds are pressing in on him. He has, listen, he literally has nowhere to go. Unless he wants to get wet. Okay, they're, they're like, come on, Jesus. Tell us more, Jesus. Tell us more, Jesus. And they, they won't quit. People are gathering around him. Why are they gathering around him? Jesus was speaking truth. When people speak truth, they become magnetic in this world because there's not a lot of truth going on. When you speak the God's truth, you become magnetic to the people that you work with, to the people that live in your house, the people you're in a relationship. You become magnetic. Hey, I want some of that. That's true. For instance, have you ever noticed, maybe you work with someone, maybe you have someone in your family, they may or may not agree with everything you say about God. Maybe they're a little bit away, they're kind of shy about coming, coming forward to see what all this God has for them. And then something happens in their life. Who do they come to? You. Why? Because they know there's something in you that's different than what they have. If there's something going on in their life, they go, you know... I don't know if I believe all this, but I know that he or she has something that I don't have. All of a sudden, you become like a natural magnet, and you'll look up from your desk, not expecting to see them, and poof, there they are. Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. I have a question. Don't answer it out loud. When's the last time that you have wanted to hear God's word that much? When's the last time that you wanted God to speak to you that closely, that intimately, that you were willing to get as close to the mouth of Christ as you could? They are physically there with them. And they are getting as close, they are literally getting as close as you can. As close as they can. Close enough, in fact, we have to look at verse, verse 2. Jesus, he... He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He has nowhere else to stand. He's being pushed into the water. He sees two empty boats. What a better way to talk to people about becoming fishermen than from a boat, right? We immediately see Jesus being relational. 
Fisherman from a boat. Fisherman at the sea. Fisherman, fisherman, fisherman. Who's he calling? People that fish. What's he going to tell them to do? People that he's going to teach them to fish. Why don't we go give gas away? Because everybody uses gas or diesel. Everybody uses fuel. Why, why, why in the spring are we going to go give away, get, just give away things? Why on Easter do we give away hams? And why, why on Thanksgiving do we give away turkeys? Because we meet, listen, listen, listen. We meet the needs of people where they are. We fish where the fish are. Jesus is fishing where the fish are. Look at verse 3. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. Now, he just taking a little break from the crowd. You ever want to take a break from the crowd? Because they just, everybody wants a piece of Jesus. He's a rock star. I don't care how big Duck Dynasty was in its heyday. I don't care how big Billy Graham was in, its, in his heyday. I'm telling you right now, Jesus was like a combination of both. Okay? And add in the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And he was huge. He was an icon. He was doing things. He was a revolutionary teacher. You ever had a teacher that literally just saw you for you and was able to teach you or a coach, some way that put into you that just, you're like, whoa, wow. Jesus was that guy. Okay, Jesus was that guy. Would we be so bold, so willing and eager to have Jesus teach us that we would stand with these people in the afternoon sun next to a lake that probably smelled awesome? And listen to a guy sitting on a boat. Afternoon. If they're washing their nets, they're done for the day. If they're washing their nets, they're getting ready for the next day. They'll hang them, they'll dry them. Next day, they won't be stuck together. They'll be clean so they can go fish again. Look at your worship handout. Jesus came to these men at the end of the day. They wanted to go home. Jesus knew it was time to teach Man, they were done for the day. Now, if you've ever been on a boat, the greatest time is when you just fire up that outboard and it starts and you just take across the lake and you start fishing, right? And the worst part about it is if you go catfishing, is coming home and have to clean all the fish that have been in the bottom of the boat and you've got to wash everything out. It's at the end of the day. Think about it. Think about someday this week that you, had, that you had a big day teaching, a big day working, a big day doing what you're doing. Big day. At the very end of that day, you were getting ready to, I don't know, take a shower, get ready to sit in the recliner. Then, all of a sudden, Jesus comes in. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Time out. Uh, we're not done. Uh, yeah, God, I'm done. I'm done. You see my schedule today? So many times. So many times we say, if that could just wait till tomorrow, that'd be great. If you could just wait till next week, uh, I think I have Tuesday open, God. What kind of egotistical people do we think we are telling God his plans? When he says this, these people are ready to go home. Listen, they are done. They're fishing. They fish all day. They are done. They're cleaning stuff. They are ready to go home. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, no, 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 no. Uh, push this boat out here. I've got a lot of people coming. We've got to teach. Have you ever worked so hard and not seen any results that you just want to go home? 
Have you ever worked so hard at something and you just can't seem to get it to click and you think, I'm done. I'm going home. In our spiritual lives, sometimes we think, God, I'm just done with this. And God goes, I wish you would just hang on for about five more minutes because I got something for you. How many times we've missed out on that? God's trying to strengthen our muscles of being patient, of being spiritually strong. And he goes, just hang on. Just hang on. I'm trying to teach you something here. Be faithful. Pray. Think about me. I will let you endure. And we said, no, you know, I just push quit, God. I'm done. These guys didn't really have a choice. He says, hey, push this boat out. Look at verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, owner of the boat, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Okay. We we probably all have heard this story, but watch this. After he's done preaching, after he's done speaking, however long Jesus talked, 15 minutes or 55, doesn't matter, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper. Now, we're not only done... The nets are probably already dry, ready for the next day now. Now you realize when the minute that you throw the net into the water, you're going to have to wash it again. So Jesus is starting this whole process over. Okay? The whole process. It's like you just get done cleaning fish and somebody goes, here, there's 20 more. I thought I, th- I thought I was done. No, no, you're not done. Sometimes it's easy to quit. Jesus says this, I want you to listen to my plan, I want you to follow my instructions, and we're going to catch fish. See, look what he says. This is easy to go right over. Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. He doesn't say we might. (laughs) He doesn't say we might. He doesn't say, hey, the fish are biting over here. No, he says, we're going to just let the nets down just a little bit deeper and we're going to catch fish. Seriously? Can you imagine if you tell your kids to do something, you know, like something just devastating, like clean your room? Oh, I can't do this. And they're like fake death, okay? Because it's just, they got to clean the room. I'll never forget. It. My dad would come up to me, he goes, uh, tomorrow, get the yard mode. Oh. He goes, what were you doing? I said, I was wanting to go to the pool. He goes, what time is the pool open? I said, one. He goes, what time do you get up? I go, six or seven in the summer? I was up early. He goes, so you don't have five hours to mow the yard? No. What do you got to do in that five hours? Then I got Nintendo. <laughs> Sometimes we just think, oh, we don't want to do this. So anyway, these guys, he says, we're going to go out and we're going to catch some fish. In verse 5, he says this, Master. He calls Jesus Master. And we're going to find out why right here. He said, we worked hard all night last night and did not catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. In Simon's language, this is what he's saying. We are fishermen. We work hard. Jesus, you're just a carpenter. You don't even know how to work hard. We worked hard, Jesus. We worked hard. And we didn't catch a single fish. But. But. If you say so, I'll let down the nets again. How many times are you at your end? God comes up to you and say, one more time. 
I want you to talk to that person one more time. I want you to do this one more time. I want you one more day to walk into work. I want you one more year to work. I want you to do one more thing. And Simon says this, but if you say so, God, if you say so, Jesus, I'll let the nets down again. Look at verses 6 and 7. So they go out. In verse 6. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. They were so close to going home empty-handed, weren't they? If you've ever deer hunted, and you think, man, I'm going to wait them out today. That big buck's been coming through at 9 o'clock. And you sit till 9 o'clock and no buck. And you sit till 9.30 and no buck. And you get down to the east side, I'm just going to get down, the buck's not coming by today. You get down 9.45, 9.46, here it comes. You're laughing because you understand. See, we're so close. Going home empty-handed. But Jesus says, I want you to listen to me because I desire for you to have what you need. When they listened and did what Jesus told them to do, it makes all the difference in the world. When we not only hear, but apply and do what Jesus tells us to do in our life. When we fish where the fish are. When we try to find out what the fish are biting on. Look at verse 8. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please forgive me. Or please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. Hmm. understanding how big Jesus is. And he goes on to, to say a very, very good word for that. In verse 9 says, For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught. And so was everybody else. Have you ever been involved with something that God was doing? And, and, and he said this. This is a very, very exciting time for connection. Some of us are going to have this opportunity if we stay plugged in and we keep fishing where we're supposed to be fishing. It says this. For I was awestruck at the number of people that I've seen God transform their life since I came to connection. I'm, I'm awestruck at the number of people, number of kids that we're seeing raised up. You don't know how many kids back there play guitar. It'll, it'll surprise you. You don't know how many kids back there can sing. You don't know how many kids back there or even in the baby gap that, that, are, that are being invested in by their parents to be coming up. And when they come up, hang on. Because I'm telling you, they're being taught to fish where the fish are. And if you don't understand fishing where the fish are, you're going to get left. Because those kids are going to take over. And they're going to lead us. Because they know where to fish. It goes back to verse 9. He was awestruck by the number of fish he had caught. goes on in verse 10. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. Like, no way. There's no way they could possibly have understood right then. What, what do you think they thought? Do we need nets? What do we need? Are we going to be hooking line fishermen now? Do we get paid by the pound like I asked last week? Do we catch people by pound? In Mark 1.17, he puts it like this. Come be my disciples. Follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. 
I'll get your worship hand out real fast. Some of us need to fold this like this, and they need to fold it again and make it a little piece of paper, or you need to keep it like this, and you just need to plaster it on the mirror that you look at every morning. It says this. Look at your worship hand out. The next blank. Nope. Mm-mm. Back up one. We don't have that one. Jesus will do amazing things when we listen. Okay? Jesus will do amazing things when we listen. We'll just leave, we'll just leave that one out. Just stay here. Jesus will do amazing things when we listen. True? Some of us have to say, I don't know, it's been a while since I listened. I don't know, it's been a while since I listened. Look at verse 11. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Whoa. It doesn't seem to say they cleaned their nets. In Mark, it tells them that they left their dad on the boat to do everything else. And the hired hands. It is left. See you, dad. I got to go. And they followed him. Why? Because three things. Because they saw what Jesus did. They had experienced what they experienced. And because of what Jesus had done and said and taught them. Just... They, may, they probably have not even known this guy very long. And then he comes by and he says, hey, I want you to come with me. Okay? <laughs> the amazing thing is these people, by the end of the New Testament, were fishers of people. These guys died fishing. They were telling people what God has done in their lives. Look at your last thing on your worship handout. It says, immediately, these men started on their journey to tell of what Jesus had done in their lives. Number one, they developed relationships with people. If you're not doing number one, I challenge you. Develop relationships. It starts like this. You meet somebody, you write their name down at church. Or they come in, hey, how you doing today? I'm Matt. There's the water. There's the coffee. Relationships. Find somebody that likes what you like. See, that's the cool thing about God. We are not all the same. That would be so boring. So boring. So God, God develops uh, a people in this, in, this, in this room that like to quilt, and people that like uh, pickles, and people who don't like pickles, and people that like to water slide, and people that don't like to water slide. People that like to go to fish fries. Well, well we all just like to go to fish fries. So, <laughs> listen, people that like sports, people that like hunting, people that, like, that don't like sports, people that don't like hunting. People that, people that drive newer cars, people that drive older cars. People that like older cars, people that like newer cars. If you like your car dirty, if you like your car clean. Okay, we're all different. We're all different. We have jobs that we work with our hands, or we just type. Or we answer a phone. Or we go on service calls. See, we have to develop relationships with people because you have the potential to unlock somebody's life for Christ that I can't touch. I can't t- I'm going to talk about that in a minute. You, you sit there and say, oh, it's easy for you to make relationships. You're the pastor. You do it. I'll tell you what people say, stereotypically, whenever the pastor comes around. Number two, they told them what God was doing in their life. They were relational. They had relationships. They became relational. They were fishers. I come up to Frankie and said, Frankie, what kind of speckle belly floaters are you running? Are, are they working? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, they're working good. I can go up to some of you and I can say speckle belly floater and you would say, I don't even understand what you're saying. 
But I could say they're using a half ounce or a quarter ounce shot when you're Carolina rigging, jigging the brush at Rin Lake and you would know exactly what I'm talking about. And I don't know that much about quilting, so I can't give you an example. But my grandma quilts, so I can have that relationship. Watch. If I knew that you quilted, I can ask my grandma something about quilting, and I can try to touch your life and, and touch you in, in, a, in that quilting area that you think, man, wow. Look at number three. What is, what is God doing or has he done in your life that you can share with others? Okay, Matt, I was good with number one. I'm cool with having friends. Number two, I can tell them a little bit what God's done in my life. Number three, that you can share with others. Oh, you know, you know, that gets a little too personal. Okay, trust the person that you tell. What is God doing? What has He done in your life? How have you changed? How are you different? God wants to make, wants to take all the things that happen in your life and He wants to use it to bring eternal values to the lives of others. Here's why. He wants eternal value. We're going to invest He wants this. Your marriage is important, but one day you're going to die. It matters about your mate's eternal value. Your children are important, but one day you will die. What are your children's eternal values? How did did you invest in them? How do you invest in them? I invested in my children this morning. If you were in here, you saw it. Some of you would think that I'm some kind of slave driver. Some of you people think I was a bad parent, or Mary's a bad parent, because of what we had our, do, our girls doing. We are investing. If you're sitting in one of those vinyl chairs, it was wiped off by a three-year-old. I'm investing. Oh, I want them to just grow up and know how to serve. I want them to walk around and see dust in a place where they go, where they work, and say, you know what? I want to be a, I want to, I want to give my best to this job. I'm going to have a clean office where I work. I'm investing. I'm investing. And to some people say, man, you're a hard parent. They come on Sunday morning, they're eating candy. Listen, we could get, they get Jolly Ranchers while they do it. <laughs> and if there's glitter on the floor, Lydia's hands are so small, they just go, hm, 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 hm. when she cooks with Mary, her hands are perfect. She cracks the egg and goes, Boom, and it just cracks right open. I, I can crack them with one hand, but she's like, it's perfect, no shell. We're investing. Your parents are important, but one day they will die. What are your parents' eternal values? Your finances, your job are important, but what about the eternal values of others? God says this today. He is screaming. He is standing up on a great big tower, and he's looking down at us. He says, I don't want you to waste any hurt in your entire life that I've helped you get over. Don't waste it. If you've ever had anything to do with Celebrate Recovery or anything with Life Hurts, God Heals, it says in the curriculum, do not waste a hurt because the hurts that you can relate with with people. Somebody comes up to Mary and I. They're struggling. They've had a miscarriage. That is a hurt that we have been brought through by God. We had a miscarriage. We relate to those people. You have no idea how many people God has lined us up with. I mean, just there's no way we would have talked to Him and just... Phew, just put, us in, just put us right there. But we had to be willing to share. God wants to use all the situations in your life, all the stuff in your life to bring eternal value to others. Now listen, God is concerned about our marriages and our children, our parents and our job, but He wants to take all of that. 
It was take all of that, make you a fisherman of people. You say, Matt, that's easy for you to say. You have two parents. They're both still married. They're both still alive. They both still live in the same household. They both put up with each other, and they've been good parents. And somebody comes up to me, and they think that they cannot relate to me because they come up to me and they say this, I don't have a relationship with my dad. I feel like I can talk to you because you're the pastor. These are the conversations that I get. I just want to know if there's somebody in the church that can, that can talk with me about that. And I looked them straight in the face and I said, me. What do you mean? Your, dad's still, your mom and dad are still married? Your dad's a pastor? I said, until I was 21 years old, I didn't even have a relationship with my dad. Oh yeah, we lived in the same house, but there wasn't a relationship. Yeah, he came to all my ball games. There wasn't a relationship. My dad and I have never been that, this close in my entire life. I talked to him probably six or seven times a week. And I use that. Listen, God says, hey, I brought you out of that. I do not harbor any ill will towards my dad. I've forgiven him. He's forgiven me. Believe me, I had enough to be forgiven for. Then I said, hey, these people come into my life, and I choose to invest in them. I said, listen, God will bring you through this. I'm living proof of that. And then someday, everybody that I mentor, I said, well, some, of the, some of these days, every single guy that I mentor, every single one of them, I said, do not, re- do not forget that one day God's going to send somebody in your life that you can talk to about that, that hurt, that really, really bad hurt. Maybe it was an addiction. Maybe it was something else. And I said, there's going to be someone that's pointed directly in your life that God's going to say, I want you to fish right now, right here. Start throwing. When our age, when your life experiences, when all of this stuff is put together and we seek to be fishermen of people, God will perfectly position us into someone else's life. If you've done this, you understand what I'm talking about. If it's never happened, you're kind of foggy about it. God will take, if if you pray this prayer, God, there's a lot of stuff that's happened in my life that you've brought me out of. Maybe you're new to this. Maybe you're new to the whole God thing. Listen, this is something that I won't step down from. Our God here that we serve is unbelievable. He changes lives. He saves people. He gives them an opportunity to serve Him. He gives them an opportunity to sing to Him. Gives them an opportunity to take their sponge, soak it up, go out the door and squeeze. We have the opportunity to give away turkeys. We get the opportunity to give away hams. We get to invest Somebody asked me the other day, what does a preacher give to his work? What does a pastor give to his work? And I said, I can't speak for everybody. And I looked at him very carefully. And I said, the only thing that I can tell you is what I am willing to do. I said, what's that? I said, give my entire life my entire life. Not this week, not next month, not until I'm 65, my entire life. My entire life. To invest. Why? Because somebody took a chance on a 22-year-old egotistical stupid head, me, in college. And they put into me and they invested. I talked to that guy this week. My fish story involved John Overstreet. And I called John. I couldn't talk on the phone when I heard his voice. I said, I can't wait to see you. I think I know how Paul felt. I can't wait to see you again. He goes, when you come out, I said, I said, the first part of May, maybe. Maybe for an afternoon. He goes, come out anytime. I can't wait to see you. 
All because he chose to invest. Now some of you look at me and say, Matt, it's easy for you to fish. You're the pastor. You're the preacher. Now I'll tell you something. I look at you and say, it's much easier for you to fish than me because I'm a preacher. Because this is what I hear, stereotypically. I have a huge disadvantage about people, about talking to people, because they expect me to talk about Jesus. Here's what they say. Here comes the preacher. Stop doing what you're doing. Here comes the pastor. Don't tell that joke anymore. It's the pastor. Knock, knock, knock. Don't answer the door. It's the pastor. (laughs) He's going to talk about God again. I know. Let the kids answer the door. Let the kids talk to him. He likes our kids. No, don't answer the door. They go through this. I haven't physically seen this. This is just stereotypical and it's funny. Why is the pastor talking to us? He's up to something. He's trying to be some kind of secret Navy SEAL spy on our life. Listen, if you think you hear a sermon and that I have physically phone-tapped your house, that's called the Holy Spirit. It's not me. Don't take it up with me. Because I get talked to enough about these sermons while I prepare them. All preachers do is talk about Jesus. Sometimes it's really hard for us to look at ourselves because number one, we don't have a good opinion of ourselves, but it's really hard to look into ourselves. And to see if that we have any potential to be a fisherman of people. It's tough to look at yourself and say, well, I do this good. Some people do not do that good. Some people do it too well. I'm good at everything. Okay, there might be things you can work on. We look at others and say, you would be so good at fishing, but not me. And we use excuses like, I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too poor. I don't have enough money. I don't have this. I have too much money. I don't want to give it away. It's for my kids. Listen, I'm not asking you to do any of that. We look at others and say this. You'd be a great fisher of people. You lived in sin. Man, you were really in sin, weren't you? And we almost glorify it. You were really in that pit. You rebellion. You have a great story. Some of you look at me and say, Matt, I do not have your rebellion story. I cannot be a fisherman like you can be. And I say this. Others say, you would be a great fisher of people because you obeyed God your entire life. Walk with Jesus Christ. You have a powerful story. The Bible says that's a better story, by the way. It's not, it's not the horrible story, come back. It's the living your life for Christ the whole time is the one that's better. I was, I, was, I was told by a guy, not necessarily here, I was told by a gentleman, he said, I'd love to come to CR, but I don't have a story like yours. He wanted to fish. Listen, he wanted a man and he wanted to fish. He goes, I'd love to come to CR, but I don't have anything that I need. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not addicted to drugs or alcohol. I'm not, I'm not doing this. So I just looked at him really straight face. I said, neither am I. There's other stuff. I don't think well of myself. Sometimes I get angry. I said, these are the things that I want God to change in my life so I can become a better fisherman. You know what, you know what, the, you know what happens when you do this? When you say, God, I want to be a better fisherman, he goes into your spiritual tackle box and he does something that most fishermen never, never do unless you're very, very serious about it. And that's, he sharpens your hooks. I have crankbaits in my tackle box that have rusty hooks. 
They could break off when I set the hook on a fish. He could get off and be, be an eight-pound bass. He'd get off. He'd get off because the hooks are rusty. See, God comes into our spiritual tackle box and He replaces those hooks and He files that edge so it's really sharp. Not so we can hook someone. We can use the right bait. We can meet them where they are. Some people say, I'm too young. Others say, I'm too old. Some say this, I can't speak very well, Moses. If you look at Moses in the Old Testament, theological people that study the Bible think that Moses had a speech impediment, yet he was leading over a million Jews, no problem. I can't, God, I can't speak well. Really? Some say, I can't speak very well. Others say, I have the ability to speak, but people will think it's just memorized and not real. It's almost impossible for us to look at our individual life and see our potential to fish. This is why encouragement is such a big deal. Such a big deal. I have people that put into me, I got this this morning. I joked with, I joked with, the, with, the, with a person as soon as I got it. I talked about grape water last week and I got one. So I said I'm going to talk about $100 bills this morning. So, but you know, you, want, you know what it means to know that I got brought a grape water? means they were listening to what I said. And if they listened to what I said, they are listening to what God said through me. And they were listening to what God had for them. Hey, I'm not asking for presents. Please, I do not need a case of grape water. I can afford getting grape water. No big deal, all right? But that, that generosity, that encouragement, that was nice. Ladies, you like to receive flowers. Guys, you like to, you know, get what you get. We, we like to receive things. We like to have our boss come, hey, you did a good job. Some of us haven't heard that in a long time. But it's almost impossible when each of us, when we're alone and we stand in front of that mirror, God, I am just a wretched person. I have no idea how you can use anything in me to bring you glory. I don't know. And God, I'll say say something like, God, I'm sorry that I let you down. And I love that video that we, that we watch sometimes. And he said, that's okay. You were never holding me up. I let you down. No, you didn't. You were never holding me up. Listen. Jesus said, follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Following Jesus and fishing for people is not about certain kinds of methods such as this. Listen, at Connection, we don't seek to have people do this. I don't want you to go to the Cardinals game with a clown wig on. You can if you want to. You probably get on TV and hold up the John 3.16 sign. Now, there's nothing wrong with it. Please, please hear me. With Tim, T- Tim Tebow wearing his verses on his eye black or, or guys writing verses on their shoes or, or things like this. But investing in people, speaking of the Cardinals, Col- uh, Col- Colby Rasmus was recently interviewed and he got traded. But over this past season, he's become a follower of Jesus. And he went back and talked to guys like Wainwright and Pujols and Molina. And he said, I watch you guys every day. And what, what he did is he thanked them for, he thanked all of them for investing in his life. Investing in his, see, that, it works. Major League Baseball, it works. They have more money they could possibly spend in a, in, in a lifetime if they were smart. 
And we see, we see guys put in positions that they can put in and they can invest into people. I don't necessarily want you to go to every door on your neighborhood and go, do you go to church anywhere? Because I go to Connection, and if you'd like to, we have services at 10 and 4.30 in the morning on Sundays. Oh, here's a list of connect groups. Here's a list of contact people. Here's the No. No, no, no. Live and love like Jesus. They get snow in the driveway. You're able to go shovel the driveway. That's investing. That's relating. Invite them over to eat. Number three, telling them the Roman road. There's nothing wrong with this. It's how you become a Christian. Knock, knock, knock. Are you saved? You're going to scare people. Okay, you're going to get the door shut in your face more often than not. Okay, there's nothing wrong with sharing your faith with someone. But we have to, listen, we have to fish where the fish are. So this, so that we do this. The kind of fishing that I'm talking about right now is a process, and there's three steps. Listen to this. You develop a relationship with unchurched people, or you develop a relationship with someone that's not in church on purpose. Why? You have your worship hand out, they're right there. Actually, they're not in there. You just look on the screen. If you want to write them down, you can. They develop relationships with people. Listen. Unchurched or out of church. Connection is not going to other churches and say, oh, we like you, you, and you. We're making an all-star team at church. Come on. No. No, 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 no. Number one, the Bible says it's wrong. Number two, they told than what God was doing in their lives. This is how the disciples became fishermen. This is how connection people are becoming, have become fishermen. And future will become. They told what God was doing in their life. I've had a sit-down conversation at Steak and Shake, drinking a cup of coffee with a guy, and sharing some very intimate things about my life. Why? Not because I wanted to brag to him. Because I told him where I had been, he, it matched where he was. And he left the conversation and he said, no one has ever talked to me that openly before in my life. I trusted the guy. I knew that I could talk to him about this stuff. Look at number three. What, what is God doing or has he done in your life that you can share with others? Homework. This week, one time. In a second, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us in a second. And I want you, while I pray, I want you to ask God, God, send me someone that I can relate to this week. Send me somebody that I can serve. Send me somebody that I can share my life experience with. Not your life story. They don't need to know it was a rainy night, November 2nd, 1965, when you were born. Okay, well, they don't need to know that. Someone that you can invest in. Somebody that you can give. Your... Listen, I'll remind you. I was asked, what does a pastor do? What are you willing to do? They asked me straight up. What are you willing to do? I said, I'm going to give my life. I'm not going to give Sundays and Wednesdays and Monday nights. I'm going to give my life. If you want to pray about something, just pray for me. Because I need it. Because sometimes I want to say, no, hey, I got to do something I want to do today. God says, that would be convenient. That's your comfort zone. I want to change you. I want to change you, man. What is God doing or has he done in your life that you can share with others? Maybe it's, some, maybe it's something that he's done in your life that you, that you want to say, hey, if you, if you can use this, don't give me names, don't do anything, if, just, just email it to me. If you can use this to show our people what God is doing in my life, has done in my life, I'll leave out all the names. You can use my story though. Hey, 
I'll take all of them I can get. Because it's awesome to read those. I'm going to pray for us right now. I want you to, I want you to bow your heads. I'm just going to ask God to send us someone that we can serve. Send us someone that we can share with this week. God, I ask you this morning, I thank you. Man, I thank you. 65 and sunny, man, you know how to make a day. 11.30 in the morning on a Sunday. Enjoy the afternoon, sit outside, grill, go out to eat. Or sit in our favorite chair and read a book. God, I thank you for the people in this church and the people that are elsewhere that impacted people in this church. I thank you for investing in them. Thank you for allowing those people to invest. God, we ask you as a group, me included, God, we ask you, please send us someone this week that we can share something from our life with, that we can offer hope, that God, you just align it up like you can. You give us somebody that we can serve, that we can show you how much we love you by how much we love them. God, I thank you for this just amazing group of people that come in this morning and watch the video. They sang songs and they listened to your word. God, not so that I can be glorified, not so that this church can be glorified, but God, so you can be glorified and you could be honored for what you do in our life. God, you amaze me. You are unbelievable. I am so thankful that you loved me where I was, but you loved me too much to leave me there. God, help me invest. Help these people invest in others, in our church, outside of church. Let them squeeze out their sponge on someone this afternoon. In your name we pray. Amen. Before you leave this morning, I want you to tell three people that you love them and appreciate them. You guys are dismissed.